Hello, good evening, and welcome to The Game Is About Glory, our first one of 2022. My name is Steph, and joining me are Ram, Ricky, and Milo. Hello, chaps. How are you? Hey, Hi, Steph. Steph. Good, good. How are you? Good? Yeah, uh, excellent. Yeah. Good, yeah, good, good start to the year. <laughs> Full of New Year cheer. <laughs> well, well, well. I can promise you something pretty spiffy for this first pod of 22. And frankly, we're showing our trust in the squad and system here at the Games About Glory with how this episode is going to roll out. Four games, three in the Premier League, one Carabao Cup match to cover in one episode. Hmm, we pondered how that could lead to a load of repetition. So we mused, how could we lighten the load, remain engaged with the vitals of the task and keep it all crisp, fresh and easy on the ears? Well... After a brief discussion, Milo pulled out what I think is an absolute belter of a concept, which will be revealed shortly. Don't go anywhere. You won't want to miss either the glory or the train wreck this idea will produce. But as usual, chaps, we're going to start with our intro question. New Year is a time for turning over a new leaf and trying to be a better version of ourselves. I've read that as positively and reflectively as possible. (laughs) So what I want to know is, what is your football New Year's resolution? How are you going to be a better fan in 2022, Ricky? Me? Um, I think I am going to go and watch my local team a bit more. So some of my hard-earned cash will trickle down the old uh, football pyramid there. So Chichita City, I think they're... um, Arch rival of Hastings there, I think, Milo, who are top of the league, I notice. Well done, Mm. Hastings. So that is my new resolution. Rather than just go to the old, you know, glam and glitz of the Premier League, I might trundle off to a few games there, if time allows. Very nice. Ram? Hi, Steph. Um, I am going to get less triggered by rival fans' opinions and when they fish for nibbles Um, because I'd like to think I'm developing or have developed into quite a well-rounded individual, but anything Spurs related related just elicits such a defensive response from me um, and the need to set the record straight and you know and um and I've, I, I'm surrounded by Arsenal and West Ham fans unfortunately so uh so there's a lot of that that comes along so I think I just need to be a calmer more mindful and just someone that doesn't allow someone who's bulletproof to that kind of banter as it's called I think my resolution is quite a hard question, actually, because I consider myself to be one of the greatest fans that ever lived, um, quite humbly speaking, that is. To be more uh, modest, so is that your to... resolution? <laughs> <laughs> well, being a more modest fan Jeez. would possibly be a, a resolution that might actually get me somewhere. But I think, seriously, what, well, seriously, I don't know how that was serious. Um, I think I'm going to try and be a little more objective in in my views i mean i'm very protective of certain players when i see sections of our support bash them uh and, and sometimes it's to the detriment of fact uh so i am actually going to try and be a little more open in that regard and sort of concede that yes maybe you're right maybe eric dyer has had one dodgy moment this season as opposed to absolutely none you know what i'm saying i think sometimes you become i become overprotective uh so perhaps i'm just going to be a little more rational in my approach but of course that'll all go by Wednesday given the opposition that we're playing (laughs) so you can just actually file this in the circular uh draw called bollocks so on my in my case we'll be pulling you up on it though during the year Steph if that does happen (laughs) yes I expect to be pulled I expect to be pulled up on many occasions but of course I am most intrigued to hear how Milo is going to be a better football fan in 2022 so uh, mine's so not just football, actually, it's going to be more generally as well. But um, on 
kind Challenge, of rule bending. <laughs> That's a hint for you, listeners, actually. But anyway, sorry, mate. Carry on. Um, so on... I've got quite a butterfly mind, so social media and Twitter, suit, you know, things like that suit me well because I can flip between things. I find lots of interesting things. It it, it, um, it, it, dry, it drives me to a, you know, a lot of useful information and, and things to read on read. But um, my resolution is to read things in uh, long form more. So that means me reading more books and making time for reading more books. And that's not just um, football; that's everything. I, I need to, you know, articles and blogs and stuff like that. And, you know, Twitter threads are great, but um, I read too much of them and I need to spend a bit of time on long form stuff. How will that make you a better football fan? Well, because I'll be reading things in more detail. So I've got a great big pile of um, football books that were bought for me for Christmas and I'm going to get through them. And um, it will give me, I think short form's great. And uh, particularly when you're talking about a particular topic that's hot, it's the best way of doing it. But, um, but so, you know, more depth, more background. I think maybe more light, less heat. I think probably, which is um, maybe not too di- too dissimilar to what I've, you know what um, what uh, Ram and, and you were saying, Steph. More light, less heat. Where else do you hear song titles that Lou Reed wished he'd actually written himself? <laughs> um, <clears throat> so yeah, no, I think we're all in the same place. Maturity. That's what you get on the game is about glory. <laughs> but watch it all fall apart, as I say, the next time we play a London derby or indeed actually kick a football. So any, anyway, um, now it is time to look back at the week or fortnight that was. The Guardian named their top 100 footballers. Harry Kane was number 15. Young Min Sun was number 39. And Pierre-Emile Hoybier somehow snuck in as number 100. Uh, that's amazing. They were named in the Guardian's 100 best male footballers in the world of 2021. Probably based off the Euros, isn't it? It's a good he point. Was, um, yeah, very, he had the most um, assists at one point in the, in the Euros. So I'd, I'd imagine, Steph, that you probably went through this list several times but before deciding that uh, Lewandowski rather than Dyer was a typo. <laughs> I mean, I have to admit, I actually looked at the list once and just was like, oh, no, it's another one of those lists where I'm sure I'm not going to agree. But yes, uh, had I actually paid attention, I would have definitely noted that as a typo. Was Diane not in there? <laughs> no. no. I mean, you neither, know. Neither was Ben Davies, so you can tell that it's a bollocks. Oh, I mean, it's just ridiculous, isn't it? It's simply based on premier tournaments in football, not on actual real-time form in the last three months of the 2021, isn't it? Or, or maybe, yeah, maybe they started it before November. <laughs> well anyway let's move on from that we've probably given them three more minutes than they deserve for their top 100 footballers especially as and i love peh but he is not the hundredth in the hundred best male footballers in the world of 2021 i don't think he's probably talked and argued his way into it like he would on the football (laughs) he does seem to have a lot to say for himself (laughs) what has happened rather more seriously over christmas and it's probably affected uh many people uh, is obviously covid has been spreading uh, wildfire and rampant uh, through society football uh, is obviously part of that uh, it's nice to see reggie delhi sunny and ben davis among the players publicly seen getting and speaking about being vaccinated over the holiday period uh, especially in ben davis's case he's been very articulate about the the, the matter in the club program did a big interview and, you know, we think it's a great thing. And, you know, it should be no secret. Uh, you know, I had COVID over Christmas. I'm triple jabbed. 
I was very fortunate, very minimal effects, feeling as fit as fiddle again. It's definitely, definitely a shift from the club because it seemed like we weren't mm. saying too much about it. Um, but I'm not quite sure why. I mean, I had it four weeks ago and I don't see why there's any reason not to, for the club to admit that. I'm not necessarily saying names, but definitely uh, project the right message on the subject. It's very important. Yeah, it's great to see the club take a sort of a more kind of um, more firmer stand on that. I agree. Milo? Yeah, I, I think um, it's a, a change of stance by the club's welcome. I've criticised them before on here for being cagey or vague about this kind of thing, so it's good. I don't know whether it's come from the players or whether it's come from the club, but either way, it's been, it's to be welcomed. Yeah, indeed. And uh, uh, again, you know, hopefully many of our listeners, if they've been unfortunate enough to get COVID, have had a similar experience to myself and Ricky, where, you know, your, your vaccinations helped you through. And uh, you were still able to enjoy your Christmas dinner somehow. I had my taste back. That was the main thing. Yep. Yep. I agree. <laughs> my smell went for about, I think, 12 hours and then it just came right back. So, you know, again, mm-hmm. get vaccinated and uh, listen to the Tottenham Hotspur footballers who are suggesting that you should because they're right. Christmas and New Year's football. We're back to four games in 11 days. And as I said earlier, you know, it could get sticky and stodgy rather quickly. So in our pod planning discussions, Milo suggested we start each of the games against, in order of most recent played, Watford, Southampton, Palace and West Ham in the Carabao quarters with a one minute recap before discussion commences. But here's the Milo twist. It won't just be a minute. It will be a minute based on the iconic radio show, Just a Minute. And I can confirm that everyone wanted to be Kenneth Williams. Milo told me I was more Nicholas Parsons. And I accepted that on the basis that, like Sir Nick, I am the Game Is About Glory's ever-present host. So, over to you, Milo, because you are the chair for this section. And I think it's yours to explain to everyone, quite possibly including us, how this is going to go. So that's that's stuffed your intro because if I'm in the chair, that means I'm in the Nicholas Parsons or Sue Sue Perkins role. Yeah. (laughs) Um, So what you have to do is you have to talk for one minute on your on the subject you're given, which will be the game, uh, without hesitation, deviation, or repetition. If you do any of those things, you can be challenged by one of the other players, panelists, and the points. You get a point for the last person speaking. So whoever's speaking at the end of the minute gets a point. You get a point. For a correct challenge, the person speaking gets a point for an incorrect challenge, and I'll give a point to anyone who makes me laugh. Does this mean that I get to be Kenneth Williams after all? You can be Kenneth Williams after oh. all. Excellent. Oh. Oh, see, everyone wants to be Kenneth Williams, don't they? <laughs> or, or Willie Rushton. Oh, I hate to say it, I probably am a bit more of a, of a Willie than a, than a Williams, aren't I? <laughs> <laughs> We're true about it. It's probably the case. Matron. Derek Nimmo. <laughs> No, no, there's no Nimmo-ness in me. I'm more of a Willie than a, than a Williams. T- I, okay, I accept that, Willie Rushton. Yeah, okay, all right, very good. So, anyway, Ram, the great player of the Damn game, it. as I know you are, I'd like you to speak for a minute on Watford versus Tottenham without hesitation, deviation or repetition, and your minute starts now. Our most recent game in this run was against a team that needs no introduction but I'm going to give them one anyway. Watford FC, based just outside of London, although some of their fans probably think they are part of London. Anyway, on to the match. Repetition. Challenge. Challenge. Damn it. <laughs> London twice. <laughs> oh. There we go. Challenge upheld. <laughs> Steph, you have 41 seconds on Watford versus Tottenham starting now. The fans saying, wake me up before you go, go. Who needs bail when you've got Sissoko? Challenge. Said challenges. 
Oh, oh, I, thought, I thought short words were okay. <laughs> um, I, I, I'm going to uphold that and, and give you a point for making me laugh. <laughs> uh, uh, 33 seconds. Starting now. We had Sissoko in the past, but he now plays for Watford. That being said, he could have been... I don't know where I'm going with this. Fucking... Oh. <laughs> Completely fell apart. Unbelievable. <laughs> fell apart, much like people have said Sissoko used to in games sometimes. That was a Sissoko-like attempt on goal, wasn't it? You just completely spaffed it like into the, into the top row of the stand behind the goal. You were clean through on goal, and you just spaffed it completely. Uh, yeah. I think the challenge there was at the same time between Steph and Ricky, but as Steph's already spoken, I'm going to let Ricky have that challenge. Right. And you've got 20 seconds, Ricky, on Watford versus Tottenham, starting now. So we chose the team that we regularly chose before, and for some reason... <laughs> what? Repetition. He said chose, chose twice. Chose. He said chose twice chose. in the first oh. three seconds. Oh. Schoolboy error. Oh. <laughs> 13 seconds, Steph. Okay. Starting now. Getting to the end of the game. Could we get the breakthrough? Ball put down on the pitch. Sun takes the free kick. And it's flicked into the back of the net by Davidson Sanchez for the win. Tottenham Hotspur 1. Watford 0. There we go. Steph. Well done, Steph. Point. I'm I'm surprised that no one got in for hesitation at the beginning there because he wasted a good second before he started talking. I waited for you to. uh... (laughs) Do you know... No, do you know what I was doing? I was going to try and, if Ricky didn't um, interject, I was going to try and wait till like the last few seconds, then challenge <laughs> and hope, hope, hope that there was something there. <laughs> okay. Now I've just told you my strategy. It's a good first start. I've only, only got three more of these to go, lad. <laughs> um, I, I suppose that we should get into talking about this game in some in a little more detail. Um, so, uh, Ricky... Please, can you talk about the Watford game for one minute without? <laughs> oh, uh, okay, at least, at least I'll remember something about that game. Yeah, yeah. Well, no, well <laughs> I mean, sure. I, I mean, I, I'm going to start with you, Ricky. I mean, you know, Watford yeah, sat deep and crowded the middle. Uh, we struggled to find a way through. Uh, you know, what what do you think the solution is when we come across situations like this? Um, well, I don't think we're going to see the solution soon because I think. Personally, in our team, we don't like compared to some other teams. We've got no what I would call touch players, mm. and I'm sort of talking really about Sun, Moradelli, and even Bergwin, as I'll mention later in the West Ham game. When the game squeeze compacted into that final third, it's almost like a bit like um, sort of football claustrophobia, mm. and I think that leads to anxiety, and then then that that leads to loose first touches. And I'm not talking about when they come drop deep to receive receive the ball or where they receive it out wide where there is a bit more space and I think it's just I think it can be coached to feel more comfortable in that situation but we've certainly got no one that is like um Grealish, Silva I don't know um Salah, Sancho those kind of players that are 100% they're comfortable and the problem you've got is is I think in some of those areas that's going to be the final ball the final mm. pass that might then lead to the chance and we then, if we're not comfortable, we then play it back. We play it around, play it around, out to the other wing back, out to the other wing back, and so on. And But it's a progress. I'm not going to complain about it too much. I think we had these problems when Red, Nat, and Potts were in charge mm-hmm. until we overcome it. And and the, some of the teams that are good at it are maybe two, three years deep into their manager. So, yeah. you know, we're, what, three months, three months into 
Conte. He's got a lot of work to do. So yeah, or, or they've got better players, like you said. It's I think yeah. quite often with the big. Exactly. If you look at the big size breaking down teams that sit like this, quite often they've got a handful of star players, and we're not really in that position. We've probably got two, haven't we? In Son and Kane. Yeah. Um. So I think that's an issue. I think probably we've lacked variety. So what we were doing repeatedly, you know, pretty much everything was going out to the right and then coming in from there. And to be honest with you, you could have David Beckham out there. And if you've got eight men, eight Watford players crowding the centre of the box, he's going to do well to find someone's head, um, you know, certainly repeatedly. So I think there's probably a need for a variety there. I don't think Mora is a lot of use against deep set sides. There's no slight on Mora. I think he's had a you know really good uh, run of form since since Conte came in, and you know I'm sure we'll eulogise about him very shortly. But I think against teams where there's not space in behind, he's not a lot of use because it, he doesn't have space to run into, he doesn't have space to exploit. So I think we're probably better adding in an extra midfielder who can pass the ball quicker. I think Conte's picked up that we're uh, you know we're taking too many touches and, and the passing's a bit slower. So I think we need to move the ball quicker in order to try and um, try try and create those chances and try and hit teams before they um, sit deep and, and, and set in. And I think probably the other thing we need to do is start taking a few more shots from range and getting players following in up on the keeper and seeing if you can feed off scraps. And again, a lot of those players you mentioned there, Ricky, are players who are very good at shooting from range and creating chances out of nothing. The thing with the touch is it only takes a bit of a loose touch to then give mm. an edge to a defender. And then it kind of... And as you say, I think... Um, Conte has been saying play quicker, play quicker. It's just two touch, two touch. But it'd be even yeah. nice to try and see some one touch sometimes to quickly move the ball on around the corner. And we just, we, it's almost like we're thinking too much before we do the next thing. And that, none of it's kind of built in. I mean, admittedly, we haven't played many teams that have been sitting back for that long. You know, we haven't had that many of those games. So, um, yeah, I mean, ironically, I'm watching two three-minute videos a week of them doing rondos in training where they're mm. doing one touch all the bloody time. Yeah. <laughs> but we don't seem to see any of that on the pitch, but, you know. When I was watching the Watford game and I, I thought exactly the same thing, that, you know, we need more quick one-touch passing. And it kind of reminded me of... Um, uh, you know, like the, that Arsenal team, that uh, that, that initial Arsenal team under Wenger, mm-hmm. who uh, who were just so clinical with one touch. I mean, they're beautiful to watch, you know. And and they're that sort of play is the play that you it, it's you can't defend against it. So you can have ten yeah. men behind the ball, but they'll find a way around it, you know. And it felt like we were trying to we we just don't have the quality to do that as of, as of right now. I think it brings me to a really important question, uh, especially in light of the Watford game, where, you know, it's very clear that Watford had a plan to basically defend narrow, um, which is quite interesting because we're a team that relies on wingbacks, which will tell you that most coaches see us as a wingback team in development. But even in that development, they have recognised that our right wing back currently is really not up to the task because that was where the majority of space was left. And, you know, Emerson Royale is a, a, a wonderful athlete and I think actually a really, really pretty solid right back. But my question to all of you is, can he be trained into the right wing back position or are we just onto a duff there in that sense and he's always going to be at best a squad player for that position to come in if someone is hurt? Where does that leave Doherty? Is he gone as well? Um, are we going to sign a right wing back in this window? You know, three questions there to, to be grappled with. So um, taking them in order, Royale is the same age as Jaffet. You know, we kind of forget this. He's 22. So I think there's plenty more to come from him. As a backup wing back, I think he's fine. I think if we bring, bring, manage to bring someone in who's first choice in January, then I think he's he's more than capable of being uh, the understudy. And I think 
Um, he's more than capable of being coached into being you know, a better player, better in that position. I think we've also got to bear in mind that as a wing-back, he's got less experience in that position than Sessegnon. So he's young and inexperienced in the role. For me, the issue isn't quite so much, and there's been a lot of focus on his crosses. And uh, in the Watford game, he put in 14 crosses, of which um, five were accurate. I think it's more actually about beating a man and getting the ball in early. Yeah, I c- completely agree. It was yeah. so frustrating, wasn't it? I thought Ben Davis was picking him out well. He's got a lovely first yes. touch. He controls the ball so yeah. well. But I what agree. he doesn't do is knock it into space and whip it in quickly. Yeah, and that's what, that's what I'm asking. Do you think he could be coached to do that? Yeah, I think he can. Yeah, I think he can. And I think, you know, we've seen with Conte already that um, there's players who maybe aren't the most technically gifted who, uh, because of the automations and because there's they, they're working on drills that they know where to put the ball they know they put the ball into into space because they know someone's going to make that run so yes i think he can do that i think he's as i said i think he's got a very good uh touch uh first touch you know ben davis was doing crossfield balls that he was bringing down really well yeah, um, I agree. and you know with with you know the, 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 controlling it lovely all he's got to do is steer that into space and make that run but I think uh, without the pressure of him being first choice, I think there's more there's more time to work on that on the training ground, and that's something that we can try in games that you know suit him or him coming on the seventieth minute because we know that Conte likes to sub off his uh, his wing back, so he'll get plenty of games even as second choice, and he looks like a really good athlete. I think the other thing we've got to bear in mind is that there's a possibility that he becomes a right centre back for us, and maybe he's understudy there as well because I think he's got the attributes to do that within a, a, a Conte side. You asked about Doherty. I think he's gone. I don't think he. I don't think he fits us. The, all the noises coming out of the club are that we're uh, happy to sell him. Uh, he's just not very good. I mean, of outfield players, he's by far and away the worst in the squad. And um, I think it's best for everyone that he finds a new club in January. And he, Doherty's never going to be our first choice right wing back. So mm-hmm. uh, if we're saying that Royale isn't good enough, then we need to bring in. Uh, you know, first choice wing back, and I, uh, that appears to be one of our priority positions in in this window. So hopefully, we see movement on that soon. I like your take on it. I think you're absolutely right. I think he is coachable. Myself, he's got to be because, as you say, there's so much frustration is because he takes that first touch so well, and then you're just looking mm. at this gaping space ahead of him, and you're like, just go for it, man. You know. But yeah. Rem, you were going to say something about this as well. Yeah, I think Royal um, Royal is coachable. I think he's got natural talent um, as well as being a good athlete, as uh, Milo mentioned. And you know, it is frustrating. Uh, it was frustrating watching him against Watford, but I didn't realise he was only 22. I thought he was tw- 25 minimum, po- possibly 26, 27. So that's in that one moment, that's completely changed my whole opinion about where he where he is with us in, in you know within the squad. And I think that um, I think Conte can definitely help him. I think as as Milo said as well, I think that you know as an understudy for sure. I you know I put in my notes that he's probably upgradable, but actually now I. I, I totally backtrack from that because the fact he's only 22 um and and as my said again you know he's got less less experience than Seth so that that's changed my opinion completely um and I think that you know he he has shown glimpses of being a good right wing back and I, I think we also forget again going back to his age now um his first game for us was um against Zaha who's one of the trickiest um players in the league to play against and the narrative about that was that Zaha gave him a torrid time but actually what was more close to to the truth was that he held his own um so he's already shown that he can you know and he's shown subsequently that he can defend he's shown subsequently that he's solid um and he can you know he can play up and down that wing he just needs he just needs a bit more experience you know and under the right tutelage i think i think he can shine yeah i'd say he's definitely worth obviously his place in the squad and i think we 
we should a bit like on the other side. We should look that maybe both our wing backs almost need to be first teamers, as in they're both in almost equal contention. Because as um, Milo said, he rotates his wing backs anyway in the game. But also, depending what formation we play, whether it's three four three or three five two, and who the who the opposition are playing, we might actually he might be more first choice if let's say we were playing mm-hmm. against Liverpool and they got Robertson and Mane down that side. We might think, well, obviously, I don't even know who the the second first choice fullback's going to be. We've not signed him, but um, but that's my point really. It's just that in more physical games, more things where we might be a bit more defensive, then he might be the first choice anyway. Because looking at the games where we're dominating, you're looking at someone that just slings crosses in who's good at it. I mean, Trippier was that once upon a time and that kind of thing. If we bring in a first choice right wing back, Royal isn't a player that you're going to groan when you see his name on the team sheet, is he? You know that he's going to put in a shift. You know that he's going to be sound defensively. Um, There's bits of his game that he needs to improve. But uh, yeah, he's he's not a bad player. Yeah, I mean, I also think. It's probably worth noting that, you know, once Romero comes back in, that might actually make a difference in his courage yeah. mm-hmm. uh, when it comes to actually taking that space ahead because Romero yeah. is so aggressive and so fast as well that he'll maybe feel a little more security, you know. Who knows? And I think the other benefit he'll see there is he'll get the, rele- the ball released earlier. With Sanchez, you know, it's something other, I don't want to go over all this again, but Sanchez's um, passing is very safe. And, you know, because his first touch isn't great. Um, so quite often, a lot of balls from Sanchez are going to go back to Dyer. Whereas Romero is going to play a ball along the line for for Royal to run onto a lot more um, and give him better give him better uh, better service. So that will make it easier for him. Ironically, I would just say I did watch the goals back for the Palace game, and he played a lovely inside channel ball to mm. Mora, who then crossed it for yeah. Kane to yeah. score, and then put in a decent cross for Mora to score the header for the second goal. Yeah. So yeah. swings and roundabouts in some games. I'm not saying you know. So good. I mean, I I think it's it's you know because he did come out of that game getting a hammering uh, for the lack of quality from the crosses and for the fact that he wasn't taking that space behind. I think it's nice when you can discuss it through and actually see the reasons, the potentially why. And I think we've all agreed that yeah, he's coachable and and let's do it. I think we've also got to bear in mind that crosses are low quality chances on the whole, uh, particularly with players who are standing. So if you've got players in the box who are standing still and jumping for them, they're not good quality chances that they're going to get. So it doesn't matter who's putting them in. You know, it's something that. Fans Fans think creates more goals than it does. You've hit a bone of contention for me about the Watford game, which is that I was actually disappointed to not see more movement, uh, and uh, you know, in the final third. It, albeit it's a compressed area of the pitch, and albeit they're defending deep, but you would expect a little more movement in those situations. And I didn't think that the forward running was that creative. I didn't see anyone trying to run across the near post or stretch any of that. It seemed all quite static. Yeah, and that's when I when I'm talking about playing a you know, five man midfield and moving to two up top. That's yes. partly what I'm thinking. There. I think one of the things we're missing, and I don't think this is something we'll address in January, I think this is probably something for the summer, but we're missing a player who can start and finish a move. Yeah. Pass the ball out, make the run, and be the last yes. man into the box and conf- yeah. and unsettle a defence. And we yeah. don't have enough of that. And Delhi can do the last bit, but he can't do the first bit. Yeah, I agree. And and you can see he's looking to sign that type of player. That's what I've, you know, I mean, essentially a sort of Frank Kessie could be for us yeah, or someone like that. Yeah. And you can see, and he, you can see actually that Conti really wants wants Winks to develop into that player and he you know and maybe even PEH but it's not convincing I don't think Winks is ever going to finish the move Winks will start the move he'll yeah. sit deep and start the move he'll move the ball yeah. around but he's not going to make that late run into the box you know Winks no. is never going to arrive on the end of a header into the box after passing out no. to a wing back or something like that I think possibly Skip could do it I mean there were I have to say there were, I mean there were signs in that Watford game that we are practicing and we're coaching things but mm-hmm. it might just end up then being that the quality of players not good enough to is kind of for the end goal because Skip sometimes 
someone's arrived in the box. If you watch the Watford game where it starts something, yeah. they arrive in. Hoiberg did as well. And we've even seen, yeah. obviously, Ben Davis doing all this kind of arriving in the box. So we're definitely trying to shift people around and make those moves and make those runs and try and do something a bit different so we don't look so one-dimensional. But maybe it'd just be the quality of player, maybe. Yeah, to the point of what you were saying, Milo, I mean, his substitutions are very interesting. I mean, they were all about that. They were all about, like, trying to create in that sense rather than, like, you know, the like-for-like situations that people were possibly shouting for. And again, we have to look at the fact that Ndombele did not come on. I think that's worth discussing. Yeah, I mean, I think he doesn't trust Ndombele, does he? I think that's what we're seeing here is the players he's trusting. Winks and uh, and Brian have come on a few times over the last few games. So I think you're beginning to see the players here he trusts. And obviously he spoke about Winks in uh, the press conference after the Southampton game and saying that he definitely won't be leaving in in, in January. Um, so yeah, I think we're beginning to see uh, who he trusts. He's been trying things out. It was interesting to see Lacelso come on in this game. He, I don't think he did a lot after he came on, um, but he's been out for a while. He's got some minutes, which is probably important, but I agree with you. I, I, on Underbelly, I, I think he's a goner. Yeah, I think you were talking about Conte on the last pod, and like Milo says there, I think he's he said he's made his assessments and that, and in my mind, I would think that that's two stages for um, Conte, really. One would be he'd be saying who's, buys, who's buying into this, who's committed and who's listening. And then his second analysis would basically then be on ability. And I think Mm -hmm. that would actually start with who can onboard ideas for starters, because he's got a lot of ideas. Conte's you're going to have to be listening and have the brain power to do that. And then it's quite plainly whether he thinks like um, you're any good. And maybe, and I mean, some people have failed on the first analysis there. Maybe Undembele falls into that category. He was really animated on the touchline. Like he was really frustrated because, you know, as we were saying earlier, there is a game plan. It's his game plan. And he obviously, oh. what he was seeing maybe wasn't oh. what it wasn't being carried out in in the manner that you know he he expects it to. So it was it was actually good to see how frustrated he was getting, you know. But yeah, I mean, with with Ndombele, it's he's getting on the bench, isn't he? So he he mm. is getting on the bench. So it's kind of if he's getting on the bench but not coming on, then I I don't know. I I've I've never really understood that unless it's like an emergency thing. If we need him in an emergency, but yeah, I, f- I feel like he's gone, which is a shame because I think it, in certain games and that, you know the player that he is, I think he can really be that person that unlocks defenses for us. Well, I think the type of games Watford and obviously we move on to Southampton. Would you would think he would be almost be nailed on as one of the yeah. three that needs to come on? I mean, I think the other thing we've got to bear in mind here is that. Um, I, st- I still think we're going to be in a sell-to-buy situation and mm. we've got to look at saleable assets. And Dembele for, I was going to say all his flaws, that's, un- that's probably unfair. I think at the right club, he'd probably he's going to be a really good player somewhere. It just uh, He's just maybe right, right now not the right fit for us. And if, if there's interest in him and we can get a fair fee for him, we're, we're, we're not going to get what we paid for him, are we? But a fair fee, then I think Conte probably looks at him and says... Yeah, okay. I can live without him because I need this and this and this more. And you know, we we probably look a bit overstocked in central midfield currently. If if we're saying that Skip and Hoybier and Winks are, are nailed on, and maybe Lacelso's got a claim there, Delhi and uh, and Dembele look like they're probably expendable. If you know, if the right bid comes in. So let's close this off by looking at the player who netted the winner for us and who you know. Alongside Eric Dyer has probably been one of the most maligned uh, players in the, in in the squad for for some time, but who is a consistent 
Antonio Conte choice at this point, was part of another clean sheet, albeit against Watford, and who has popped up with another goal. A very important one, I may say. Davison Sanchez, step up, take a bow, and continue with that, like, almost uh, anti-celebration, which is all becoming a bit of a cult thing, actually, I think. Uh, so, and long may it continue, because it will mean that he's continuing to score goals. I mean, do we have any evaluation on, on Sanchez? Obviously, he's scored a very important goal for us there and done his job at the other end yeah I mean I'll confess I'm one of his biggest critics and I think in the long run we might still look to shift him on and like Milo says that would be a kind of a money consideration as well I think but I can't fault him at the moment and I mean we'll move on to the Saints game and seeing when I saw him in the flesh there he was I'll say it now he was my man of a match at the Saints game I don't want to get ahead of ourselves but in this game as well it was really tough for him to get that header it was just so good that someone like him could pull through with that um, with that moment especially for him you know because I think plenty of other fans are a bit you know undecided or falling on the negative side with him so that was great for him I think he deserves credit because he's part of this run that uh, you know where where we've been unbeaten for seven games odd, and um, you know, and, and he has played well. I think the the reality is if Romero's not injured, uh, San- Sanchez will struggle to get into the team, or you know, he'll be an adequate backup. But yeah, as Ricky said, I think if if we can if if we've got um another option and we can get you know decent money for him we probably would look to sell him on and you know or or get a a, a kind of upgrade on him but can't fault him for um especially the last couple of games at all and you know and, and it's a credit to him and I'm really really glad he got his goal defensively i think he's been very sound since coming into the side or certainly after the first couple of games after um after Romero's injured, he took a little while to find his feet, but I think he's grown into it and he's got better. And I think the last uh, over Christmas, he's been and Christmas and New Year's been he's been very good. I think the weaknesses in his game are still obvious. I think his first touch and his passing isn't great. His long distance passing is better than his short passing. You know, short he often plays safe, which I think I think hampers us overall as a side um, because it limits what we can do. But defensively, he's been very strong. He's ha- he's in good form as an understudy to Romero right now. He's great. You know, he's not a player that you're going to be looking to replace this window or looking to sell this window. Um, come the summer, I think maybe because because he's in good form, it might be the point where we can um, you know sell a player when they're in form before before it drops. It's not a bad time to do it if there's a you know a better option available. But I wouldn't be too worried as second choice, you know, going into next season if that's not the case. I mean, alluding to what you said, Mar- uh, Milo. I mean, if he is worth some money, I mean, it looks like we need more more urgently probably need a left centre back. Mm. But if we got a right wing back and then we ended up with um, Royale and even possibly Jaffe as possible right centre-backs. Then maybe we don't even need to replace him. Maybe. I suspect they'll sell Jaffe as well. I don't think he's well suited to um, Conte. And he's at an age where he needs to be playing regular first-team football and I don't mm. see him getting that for us. I think this season, I think a couple of weeks ago I said that maybe we should sell him in January, but I think actually he did he did well the other week at, yeah. at left centre back. Left I think his, I think yeah, I think his um, flexibility is useful, but I'm not sure that I see him lasting beyond the summer. Uh, 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 just a minute, chaps. I think it's time to move on to the next game after having uh, looked at that one 0 win over Watford, don't you? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> right. So who? Southampton in one minute. Steph, you can kick us off. In one minute, Southampton versus Tottenham starting now. Southampton versus Tottenham was a game of thin lines. Thick? No. They were just not defined enough for my liking. (laughs) Was that a challenge there? Yeah. What's the thick? 
no. <laughs> and then hesitation. There was all sorts of things. It did want to say thin again. Yeah. <laughs> Thick and thin. <laughs> there was definitely hesitation in there. So, Ram, a point for your challenge and 48 seconds on Southampton versus Tottenham starting now. Harry on the score sheet again. We should have got more. But we didn't. VAR hampered our performance throughout this game. Once with an offside decision and another time with a foul, which wasn't, uh, something, which Uh, wasn't. (laughs) Ricky. Number one, it sounds like he's reading. Hang on, hang on, hang on, hang on. I promise I'm not. Ram the robot. No, actually speaking like a robot. It was um, hesitation. The worst thing is I'm not actually reading anything. (laughs) That's me trying to... Ricky, I would like to challenge years. a challenge because I did blow a raspberry uh, a, a, a split second before Ricky said challenge, but I accept that right. Ricky should. Ricky deserves a shot for saying the word challenge. Ricky, but Ricky was in first. He, Ricky was in first, or at least he will be by the time the edit's no, finished. I would like a VAR to analyse the audio of that because I definitely went before Ricky went challenge. So, but anyway, I, I, I've been adjudicated over by Stockley Park. There was a hand in the air. Oh, I see. We're going to hands in the air now as well, are we? Okay. <laughs> right, yeah, Ricky. I'm going. Right. Starting now. At St. Mary's, we encountered Sirisu, probably the heaviest-handed player in the league. He ended up challenging our very own Delhi and also Kane. <laughs> oh, challenge! challenge. I don't, challenge. Oh. <laughs> Steph, that was, that was, you were first that time, Steph. <laughs> Oh, no. Well, apart from invoking a type of mayonnaise that you put on a sandwich at the beginning there, which uh, which you did manage to rescue as being a footballer for the opposing side. Well oh, done, Ricky. On. That was a great save. Um, there was definite hesitation. There's no doubt. Yeah. 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 Okay. All right, Steph. Don't tell me. Two seconds left. Don't tell me. 11 <laughs> seconds. 11 seconds. All right. Oh. Tactics, Ram. Right. <laughs> Starting now, Steph. The shame of it is the two goals we scored will be forgotten for the controversy created by VAR and Stockley Park, who got it wrong. There was no black and white. They were wrong on two counts. Challenge. There you go. Oh. No, clock had gone. Oh. VAR on this one. <laughs> yeah. Oh. You were too slow to challenge. Steph wasted two seconds at the beginning of that. I didn't. I'm waiting for really? you to say now. Right in there, off the. It must be the. It must be the delay to America. That's yeah. what it'll be yeah. claiming. Yeah. <laughs> Do you want scores on the doors after round two? Go on. So currently, Steph's on five points. Ram's on three, and Ricky's on two. Ooh. So we've got a bit it's of a conte. Uh, it's a weird uh, semi-conte there. A five-three-two. It's a. Will it go to three-five-two? <laughs> Will well, it go to four up top? Anyway. <laughs> well, so basically, I've got to do the whole full minute for the Palace game. I've always got no chance of winning. Oh, you've got two, two, two <laughs> no, chances. Of, yeah. Oh, yeah. You've got West Ham as well. Time. Yeah. Oh, cool. So, yeah, yeah, yeah. Right. I forgot about West Ham game. But what I think is interesting, actually, about the Southampton game and the way that we've just tried to sum it up in just a minute is uh, whether this was because I led the charge or because we all feel the same. The big story of this game, surely was the application of VAR. We probably all have slightly different thoughts as to, you know, the legitimacy of complaints over, you know, Harry's offside and the absolutely ludicrous cancellation, what what do you call it? No goal when what Forster backheeled into his own net having flubbed a catch. I mean, so, you know, let's just start right there. Were we robbed 
at Southampton Ram. I was annoyed by the offside decision, but I begrudgingly accept it under the current rules. Um, we've had similar decisions go for and against us since um, VAR was introduced. It, it really is a question for me in those scenarios of did did the VAR operator, at what point did he or she hit pause? You know, because a microsecond forward or back, you know, that, uh, that kind of human element to it means that, uh, you know, it, it, it could have been offside or it couldn't have been. The own goal, that was a goal. I thought Doherty did nothing wrong. Um, forced to try to catch it into his chest rather than reach for the ball. So, you know, it was a goalkeeper error in the first place. He should be trying to catch it above his head, not trying to bring it down. You know, Doherty had every right to challenge him for that. He, he certainly wasn't going for um, Forster himself. He was going, you know, he was going in for the ball and he, and he has the right to do that. And it was, a, it was a really unfortunate, it should have been a really unfortunate error for Forster, but he, I, th- I thought Southampton got away with one there. Yeah, that's my, that's my take on it. Yeah, particularly, I mean, I think the, um, the offside ones are quite objective decisions in the sense of, I mean, whether you moan, whether they put the lines in the right places and that kind of thing, or like Ram says, you know, whether they've stopped the tape at the right point. But I just kind of accept them anyway. I think they should change that, to be honest, without getting too deep into it. I think that even if they just changed it so only feet are involved, so you haven't got to do these kind of lines up to arms and things, I think that might be a good kind of addition. But the Forster one, like you said, Doherty challenged Forster, but if you actually look, Doty has virtually completed his move towards the ball where it's dropping. Mm. And he dropped, he jumps probably, you know, because he's in the right space already. And it's actually Forster that then comes to him. Yeah. And as you say, he's decided to catch that with like bucket hands rather than using his seven foot two frame and just catching it out <laughs> of the air. And I think, I mean, my main overall thought with the VAR thing is I just, I think the clear and obvious bar is just too high at the moment. Mm. And that's my personal opinion. It should have been a goal. Because I would have overturned that, I think, if you had another chance to look. So basically, this week, I've spent an inordinate amount of time reading up on the rules on VAR application, um, but also how VAR Long systems form are Long form or set- short form? Uh, I've been watching FIFA videos on the calibration of VAR <laughs> wow. systems within stadiums okay. and how they're set up and the accreditations, uh, accreditation for various different setups for it. It's fascinating. It's really interesting. <laughs> but I, I might be alone on that. Catch up later, so, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I can do, I can, <laughs> it's, it's, but there's loads of uh, YouTube stuff on on their website where they're showing you the calibration of the systems. So the feet thing that you raised, um, Ricky, the reason they don't do that is because they think it's too hard on assistant referees in the lower leagues. So when they're looking along the line, if they're looking down at their feet, it's harder to do. So the reason why it's uh, upper body is because um, it's, okay. it's, easy, it's easier for assistant refs when there's not VAR. Okay. I think part of the problem we've got with that offside decision is the TV angle, the camera there. So within the stadium, there are five VAR uh, cameras as well as the broadcast cameras, and they're all calibrated and linked together. What you find is that certainly TV angles, but also the camera of the pitch, can make players look like they're in front of or behind them when they're not. And what VAR does when it's been properly calibrated is that you're seeing it in all of those angles are linked together and the VAR ref chooses the right angle in order to put the lines on and they're the thin one pixel lines. In terms of, Ram, your point around the moment they pick it, it's 50 frames per second on the film on that. Um, It's the split second and then... 
after they've point, put the lines in the right place. And on, on Kane's one, I've seen high-res images of, of that, and they are in the right place. It's, it's to the badges on the upper arm. And uh, this season, you can score with the upper arm. There was a change, change in the rules. So it's not armpits, it's upper arm. T-shirt rule, is it? Yeah, that's right. Yeah, basically. But yeah. They, they do it from the badges so, on the upper arm. So I, I just oh. want to ask you there, because can I just ask you for a moment? Mm. I haven't gone to the length <laughs> you have to research but I did actually do what for me was an inordinate amount of research into the VAR situation, actually sparked by, and this should be no secret to our listeners, you know, Milo and I have differing views of this particular decision and actually even VAR application. I came across one thing that the Premier League said in the application of VAR, and I saw this on their own site, and this is, and uh, look, I'm looking to you to clarify it for me because obviously you've done more research than I have. It said that, first of all, we've got clear and obvious error, and I'm beginning to wonder what the definition of a clear and obvious error is. That's that's my first question to you. And the second one would be, I thought that specifically they were going to measure the offside from the armpit. And I thought this offside was called from the shirt sleeve. That's what we were told. That's what the line said. And there there is a sentence that says armpit in their own application for this season. Now, unless I'm reading a dummy site, I saw that in print. So what happened here? Well, there's two points here. So firstly, clear and obvious error is irrelevant to offsides because it's not that. It's a binary decision as to whether someone's on or off. So it's not a clear and obvious error uh, decision. It's relevant to the Doty call. No, it's it's not anything to do with armpits because it's the furthest part of the body forwards where you could score a goal from. And in this instance, it was the upper arm because that was the part of his body that was furthest forward. Um, so if his foot was furthest forward, then it would be the foot. If it was his head, it would be his head. Um, so th- there's no thing saying that it's marked from this part or that part. It depends on where you are and uh, where your body is. So in this point, it was yeah, it was from his upper arm. Um, it was taken from the badges on his sleeve. The uh, Southampton defender's foot is um, correctly marked. So I think both of the players are marked. As, yes, I've looked at high-res images of it. It looks like they're correctly marked. After they've done that, they take the one-pixel lines off and they put the thicker lines on, which are the only ones we see on broadcast. And the the thicker lines are the margin of error. So again, Ram, when we talk about kind of the point where it's taken from, that that is the margin of error we've got there. And where we see them red and blue, if they overlap, they go. it shows green. And again, on the high-res images, you can see clearly that there's a, there's a gap between the two lines. Yeah. So it, it's it's the right call. I think what's difficult is the camera angle, which we we only see one angle. We only see the final picture. We don't see the application of it. And I think this is probably you know where the issues are because yeah. previous seasons you saw the whole process. You saw things move around. Um, it didn't really help because there were still questions about it and people don't un- who don't understand VAR and don't understand how it's applied and don't know the rules of the game are still talking about it while it's all going on. Yeah, as far as I can see on this one, it's been applied correctly. And um, I think you have to I think you have to trust the technology because they're, they're seeing it from more views right within the uh the application within hawkeye it is it's computerized it's not a human deciding whether one you know where the lines are it's it's computerized within three you know within three three-dimensional space and we're seeing a flat image from one angle well i okay i look i obviously i don't want to turn this into the game is about VAR, but I, I am going to just read something that Mike Riley said at the beginning of this season where he said, we have effectively reintroduced the benefit of the doubt to the attacking player. So in a really mm-hmm. closely off, in a really close offside situation, we carry on following yep. the same processes that we did last year with VAR. And he says, mm-hmm. effectively, what we give back to the game is 20 goals that were disallowed last season. Mm-hmm. I'm sorry, I just don't see that in this decision. So that's what the thick line is, Steph. That's the benefit of the doubt. And the, the, the thing we've got to bear in mind here is wherever we draw that line, so we could make the line thicker. 
there'll still be a decision that's a millimetre out from that. What we saw in this game with that line is, is consistent with what we've seen in Europe. It's consistent with what we've seen at the Euros. This is standard across Europe now in terms of how that's applied. And that's what we were saying last year was a lot better. That's what we were saying was, was a better application. So there is a margin of error there. We could say there should be a bigger margin of error. But if you do that, you're still going to have a decision that's one millimetre over that. So wherever we draw the line, there's always going to be a marginal call. And I think that's what we have to accept in this situation is that there is a margin of error. And I'm saying that I believe the margin of error went against us in this situation. Uh, but look, maybe it will go for us in another. Who knows? I, I'm not saying. The, the margin of error was applied and it was outside of that. There's a clear gap between the two of them. And if you look at the high-res images, that is clearly taken from the right point on those so um i don't think that's the case but i mean we could say there should be a wider mar- there should be a bigger wide margin of error but you'd still get decisions that were marginal because oh. it'll be there'll always be ones outside of that i think what grates here probably and this might grate with steph is that obviously in this situation kane's feet were obviously way behind that line mm-hmm. and it was just a kind of he was, he was kind of leaning yep. and and all, everything right. apart from that Top of the arm was onside, and yep. quite a long way onside. And that's, I think, what grates with it. But I agree with Milo. I mean, at the end of the day, the technology dictates what goes on. And I agree with it. Under the current rules, he's offside, but it's frustrating. And I, I get that when you're talking about him leaning into it. But then what we're talking about is the offside rule, not VAR. So we're saying the offside rule is wrong. And, mm. you know, I've run the line in Sunday League. It's bloody difficult. It's really yeah. difficult running the running line, looking across the line, looking at the the ball being played. It's really difficult. So I can understand the argument around saying looking at feet is more difficult than looking at um, yeah. kind yeah. of eye level. I haven't gotten to the Doherty, uh, the Doherty one yet, Steph. Listen, that, that's more interesting, <laughs> I think. Yeah, and it's interesting because I don't think anybody wants to go down another 10 or 15 minutes into this, but it is absolutely <laughs> the... No, but it's absolutely, you know... And I get a further quote from Mike Riley. So it's the toenails, the noses of players that were offside. They won't be offside now. I mean, how on earth... It, it, you know, if you're not going to give a toenail as offside, which, I mean, I, I, look, I personally agree with, how on earth... Does this work with the shirt sleeve? A, a brief clarification for FIFA about where offside lines start and stop. They say the bottom of the armpit is now being classed as the part of the body where offsides will be measured from. I'm just, well, look, again, I'm but, just going but, by what I'm reading. And I accept that when it comes to these levels of research, I don't go into it with quite the depth that you did. But It's whatever part of the body you can score a goal with that's furthest forward. So in this, in this instance, it was the upper arm because this season, as, as Ricky was saying, there's the T-shirt rule, which means that above the upper arm here, you can score from. So, and that was the case with this one. Sorry, I got point, to it, I got point to it again so as I can see it because I genuinely want to understand. So you can score from the shoulder. Basically, if you're wearing a short sleeve T-shirt, it would be above the sleeve, yeah. Mm. I was going to say, the real interesting bit will be this year when someone scores a goal with the upper arm and then mm. everyone, everyone will really kick off. But it'll be in the rules. <laughs> what, if I move my arm with the same time my head, it bounces off this part of my arm, I now get That's a goal I mean. for that. Oh. And, you know, if you've been recently vaccinated, Steph, you're going to yelp, aren't you? Because um, <laughs> basically, if you if you nudge the ball with the bit where they stick stuck the needle in, Steph, then that's not going to be a handball. <laughs> Those are the rules. So as you said, Ricky, I look forward to the consistency of application because dollars to donuts, that is not going to happen. That's going to be called a handball. So I, I think there has I think there has been one this season, but I can't remember which game it was in. Um, Ricky, I, I think I think you're right about the Doherty one being more interesting. And I agree with you about the bar is too high at the moment. If the question here is, did Doherty foul Forster? I think the answer to that is no. If the question is, did the referee make a clear and obvious error? I think the answer is no. Because firstly, goalkeepers are overprotected. And I think when Doherty 
goes for the ball. He's turning his body to Forster as he goes in. So I think when we talk about clear and obvious error, what we're actually saying is, was the referee's decision reasonable? In real time, was it reasonable? It's not, was it right or wrong? It's, was it reasonable? And the way the rules are applied, it was a reasonable decision. And that's the problem we've got there. If we say that VAR ought to be getting every decision right, or you know, correcting decisions that are wrong, that's a, that's a lower bar to clear. It's a bit like the difference between criminal and civil cases in terms of the burden of evidence, burden of proof. And I think that's, that's where the, the issue is here. It was the wrong decision, but it wasn't, it wasn't the wrong decision to not overturn it on VAR. So Milo, in that sense, just to help me understand, so the, it actually, the ball went into the back of the net. So shouldn't mm-hmm. VAR instantly be doing a check on everything in that case isn't it after every goal there is some sort of check or is that only an offside check i think some other people said that maybe the ref had blown the whistle before it rolled into the net and then Ah, that means you can't then right which at the speed of which a football move occurs suggests to me that he'd already decided a foul was taking place before forster Mm. had dropped the ball whereas when you rightly said ricky doherty isn't charging into the keeper the keeper is moving Mm. towards him i mean you can't have a clearer and more obvious error of judgment than that because because one yeah. one element is sta- is jumping straight and the other's running into. A question for Milo: Do you think because the bar is so high for clear and obvious mm-hmm. that in that instance, as you say, that the usual decision is to oh, it's a foul on the keeper? Do you yeah. think they just think? instantly goes that because then they think they're not going to get challenged as in they're not going to get called to look at the screen i've got to be honest with you i can't remember the last time one of those type of challenges were given the other way so yeah i think it's a reflex when a when a goalkeeper's challenged to blow up for a foul on the keeper and yeah that's i think one of the other reasons why it's probably not a clear and obvious error because that's how the rules are applied and this is one of the problems with football isn't it the rules are subjective but that is my issue i mean the point of var is to get more decisions correct and loads of decisions are subjective and that bar's so yeah. high that I'm not interested in what someone in the a pundit thinks or what we think mm. or whatever subjective decision. The only person who has to get the subjective decision right is the referee. Yeah. And we've mm. always said before, oh, it is difficult mm. and they only get one look at it. Well, yeah. VAR is giving them more than one look at it. And yeah. I don't think it, and I know they don't want too many of the times to go to that screen, but I don't think it has to be too many times. I think they can still go and look at it. And I think there's almost a bit of a stigma for them that they're going to have mm. to change their mind. And they don't, it's almost like them thinking, yeah. oh, I've got it wrong in the first place. And that shouldn't be there at all, that stigma. It's about getting it right. I'd be very happy to see that bar lowered. So, you know, I think as a, as a, as a VAR evangelist, um, I think more VAR would be great. <laughs> So, I mean, if that, if that's where, where we're taking this, but I think you've got to bear in mind that that high bar was partly brought about by pressure from, you know, the commentariat, the football commentariat around, um, undermining referees. I think the other thing we've got to bear in mind here is I think that, um, increasingly this week, what we've seen is broadcasters manufacture outrage in order to generate traffic wow this has been going on forever yeah absolutely and you know it was exactly the same before var they did the same thing around refs and undermining refs i thought you know bt yesterday with the arsenal man city game were bloody awful uh in the way that they covered that and when they were told how the thing works and how decisions were made they weren't prepared to listen and it's it's entirely about trying to generate traffic i mean i think that the one thing i can deduce from our discussion about all this is that we should change the phrase that is used in these situations of var application or not from clear and obvious error 
to uh, you know to something we need to change the wording yeah. of that you know to subjective and completely uh minuscule misjudgment i mean is that what we're going to change it to i think the problem is is that people think the VAR's there to get the right decision that's not actually you know what that application right. when you talk about the clear obvious error part of it oh. that's not what it's there to do was a referee's decision grossly incorrect i think is what we're actually talking about here yeah and, and his decision in that particular case was i think there was enough going on in that scenario where it could have been uh, you yeah. know the ref w- it would have been totally within his rights to go actually i'm going to take a second look at this no i, th- I think i think that's right but i think if if we saw that game played without VAR, how many times yeah. would that decision be given to Do- Doherty? And I would suggest it would probably be, you know, one or two out of ten. And this is where sure. what I think is fascinating about uh, not just football, but even us as a pod collective is that. And this is something I'd love us to discuss uh, in the future down the line. And maybe it's a sub, maybe it's a, maybe it's a subtopic. You know, we all watch football in a slightly different way, uh, and I can appreciate what you're saying there. Because you're looking at it, in my perspective, from a point of almost um, statistical overview, well, the probability of that decision being given, even though it might be right, is incredibly low because it doesn't get given. And I'm looking at it and saying, he's got it wrong. In real time, Forster's never got control of that ball. So he's never got his hands on that ball. So it's not a foul. I so I think that we're just seeing it in a different situation. I find it fascinating. And that's what makes football yeah. so brilliant, isn't it? That we can both look at something that seems so obvious to one and, and and maybe we both agree in a sense, but we have very different approaches to it. I don't know. It's interesting. Do you think, Milo, that if that had gone to have a second look and he went to the screen, he would have changed his mind? And not because that's what they always do when they go to the screen. Do you think he generally would have thought, like we do, that there was very little wrong with that on giving a goal? I don't know, because, again, on VAR, this one of the peculiarities of VAR, isn't it, is that the decision's meant to be made in real time. So whilst for factual calls, so like whether it's a handball, they'll show a slow-mo of it to see whether it's a handball or not. Their decision's meant to be made in real time. Same as when there's a, a, a studs up challenge or something like that. They're meant to make the decision on the, on the film in real time. And I do think that, you know, Doherty rolls his body away from Foster. He's not looking at the ball as he goes in there, which I think is probably why the ref decided against him uh, in real time. So I don't know. I, but I also think it's one of those ones, if it had been given the other way, if the ref had given the goal and it had gone to far, yeah, 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 he wouldn't yeah. overturn it either because it wasn't, a, you know, it wasn't. Yeah. And that's where the, that clear and obvious thing is difficult we've all played football mm. ricky's played at a higher level than any of us and there's so obvious that doherty has already assumed that fraser forster being like seven foot nine <laughs> is going to claim that ball at the highest point and at that point he's simply like okay i'm going to protect myself and him by not charging in i'm just going to turn halfway keep my elbows down and try and minimize the clatter here so as we all get out of here safely if anything I would look and say that Doherty didn't jump into him and challenge him enough. Uh, you know, if I was being critical as a player, you'd be like, hey, you want to make the keeper uncomfortable. Having yeah. said that, it was as far from an aggressive jump into a goalkeeper as I think you can get playing a game of football, especially when the keeper is six or seven. You expect him to get the ball at the highest point. And I think that that's in Doherty's mind. The ref has to be looking at that. He's got to know the game. Like I said, Steph, I don't think it was a foul, but I don't think that it was wrong enough to pass that test well we disagree the first disagreement of 2022 and there will be more (laughs) it's as simple as that right can i just say milo i think we should give him some credit here i think you've explained var 
um, in such a clear way that you know, in terms of like what we hear on B, you know, the like BT Sport or Premier League Channel or Sky Sports, you know, I think you should. There's a there's a job for you there, mate. To get on there and, uh, and explain bar. Yeah. <laughs> I'm, I'm gonna I'm gonna pull up that line where they talked about armpits and send it. Uh, I, I am because I'm I'm intrigued. No, no, I'm not challenging you. I'm just intrigued at the amount of. I mean, yeah, uh, I'm intrigued. Yeah, yeah, same. At the amount. You're right. He uh, Milo has clarified it uh considerably i still think yeah got it not wrong. that whether we agree or disagree i think it's been it's been quite yes I, know, I agree it's, it's given us clarity yeah i can send some links to um some great videos on, on do var, var calibration as well it's uh, if you like civil engineering <laughs> and stuff like that and um put that in the links for the podcast <laughs> I despise civil engineering in a sense because I'm really not uh, smart enough to be a civil engineer. Uh, but having said that, <laughs> I would be very interested because the crosshair thing is fascinating because ultimately, and let this be stated, the crosshairs are placed not by how from 2001, they're placed by a human being. We should say at this point, actually, that AI bar for um, offsides is going to be coming in soon. I think it's going to be used in the World Club Cup next mm. month so and it's planned to be used in the world cup this year um and that's hawkeye as well and under that they're increasing the number of hawkeye cameras within the stadium to or between 10 and 12 depending on the on the okay. um on the stadium and wow. that will have a 3d virtual version of the game with uh, body mapping going into it and then that means that decisions will be made in real time by the VAR Hawkeye system and then uh, it goes to an assistant referee and the assistant referee's decision then or the VAR referee's decision then will be around whether the player's interfering with play but not a factual one around whether they're onside or offside yeah interesting I think that's great because there's no argument around that because you're taking away the subjectivity about it uh, immediately but also it means that offside decisions will be a lot quicker and we should actually bear in mind that Hawkeye technology is within the stadiums already because it's used for the goal line technology so I think broadly speaking actually we're very happy with how the goal line technology is working in terms of the lines there that's what's being used now for offsides but even more so when it's automated in conclusion and i i think number one completely agree with you rem uh, thanks very much milo because it's 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 really good to get you know the take of someone who has really spent the time to drill into this i mean i come away with with, with a couple of things from it that are number one it just goes to show the modern game is so fast and he's so mm. rapid uh, and you know you can see the difference where you're sitting in the stand. If you're sitting in the first row of a stand, you will see how much faster that ball moves and you'll see the speed yeah. and, the, and the, the curl and all these technical... It's just... It is becoming impossible for the, for the human eye uh, to detect it, let alone one from 6,000 miles on his sofa, like screaming at the television because the lines don't match up. So, I mean, I, I completely <laughs> accept that technology is, is going to be not just the future, but a very important future. I, I would also like to put some responsibility on uh, the uh, attacking player Players at Tottenham Hotspur Football Club and Antonio Conte and Ryan Mason and the rest of his staff to start coaching our players to run with their arms pinned to their sides and not pumping <laughs> in a running motion and to try and start learning how to run in a non-upper half of the body movement fashion which will be like Monty Python silly walk. Should we talk about the football? Yeah, what happened in, what happened <laughs> in this game? I actually, I'm almost comfortable leaving the Southampton Review as, as about, uh, about two refereeing decisions. But, uh, you know, take, uh, go on, ask a couple I of mean, questions about what, the football. What I would say is that, <laughs> yeah, we had 22 shots, 11 shots on target. And, you know, XG of 2.81. Yeah, we had all of that, uh, you know, kind of dominance of the game in that second half and what have you. And we didn't do enough with it. And Because we the were moaning, robbed by VAR. <laughs> All the moaning about the fire and something else. And this is true of the Watford game as well. 
we should have done more with the ball. We should have made more of it. Mm. And, you know, Conte spoke afterwards again about kind of um, heavy touches and what have you. We are clearly a bit leggy and tired, Hoybier particularly, but we should have done more with it. We should have taken our chances. It shouldn't have come down to to an offside and uh, a a keeper backheeling it into their own net. I think that's a fair comment. I think that one of the things I'd add to that is, and I nearly mentioned it in the Watford game, but I'll mention it here. You know, Harry has been missing uh, some, just he's been missing some big chances recently. Recently. I mean, against Watford, he missed a chance early doors, which I think would have mm. completely changed the face of the game. One that you would expect him to put away for him. Uh, what do they call it in old footballese, which will make Milo cringe? A meat and drink, hot one. That one's meat and drink. Yeah, it's the kind of it's, uh, the, you know. it's the kind of ones you see him doing training, isn't it? Where he yeah. just buries it in the bottom corner every single time. Yeah, yeah. 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 And, I, and and definitely again against Southampton, I, I would agree. We we fluffed our lines on several occasions when you would expect us to just you know punch the ticket. So that's very fair. Yeah, it's a very fair point. I mean, although I must say, with the offside goal, as soon as he got it knocked through and touched down, I, it wasn't a goal. But it had that, he definitely had that inevitable feeling that this is Kane's just going to bury this. Like, it was almost like knock it through yeah. to him, touch it, bury it in the bottom corner. So it was, a, it was a beautiful goal that we were robbed of. Let me ask this question uh, on the football before we go. I, I've seen what I consider to be some ludicrous portioning of blame for Ward Prowse's goal. I mean, I think it was a pretty unstoppable shot. Uh, yeah, do we yeah. think that we could have done better? I mean, or do we think it's like, hey, you just sometimes you have to hold your hands up and say he's just threaded the, the eye of a needle. The amount of players it went through and the the, the curve that you know was on yeah. there. I mean, Lloris was, there was no way Lloris was saving that. And again, that's one of those nine times out of 10 situations I think it hits someone on the way on the way mm. um, before it get you know powers into the back of the net yeah and I think the number of people in the box Luis saw it late um, I think yeah. you're right once it left his foot no one was stopping it I think there's maybe a case that he could have been closed down quicker but he's one of the best in the league at that kind of thing yeah. I think Delhi nearly got there so very very close wasn't he okay one of the uh, more novel uh, reviews of a football match you're going to see uh, <laughs> <laughs> we moan about them talking about it on the telly and we've just done bloody 30 yeah. minutes <laughs> and this is going to come out at a point where everyone's kind of forgotten the game and is absolutely sick of the Vard conversation <laughs> it's, we've really timed this well <laughs> <laughs> oh dear oh here we are we're back to uh we're, we're in the second half of uh of just a minute uh i believe uh oh. i believe i should actually hand it over to the chair so will the, will the chair please take over it's you to kick it off this time steph let's have one minute <laughs> on uh on crystal palace versus tottenham or should, should that be tottenham versus crystal palace uh, starting now. Tottenham versus Crystal Palace ended up being a comfortable 3-0 victory where Lucas Moura continued to show his rapid improvement under Antonio Conte with an excellent performance that saw one goal and two assists. Wilfred Zaha finally got himself sent off, much deservedly, I think. What an idiot. Behaving like a complete tool, as he usually does, apparently, uh, in my opinion. and in my, I challenge myself because I just fell apart. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Challenge, I'll challenge that just to get in there. <laughs> 35 seconds left on Tottenham versus Crystal Palace, a ram. Lucas Moura's performance can be epitomised by the one touch that he took before he scored his goal, the header from the six-yard box. Basically, what he did was the Crystal Palace player was coming through to him and he used his deft touch to oh, go past <laughs> and he used his deft touch to be a Dalek and exterminate, exterminate, exterminate. I'm not... <laughs> Can we talk about VAR again? The challenge is being robotic, is it? 
No, the challenge is there's a hesitation he in went, every uh, second because yeah. he doesn't know where he's going. A bit like Lucas Morat <laughs> half the time, actually, to be fair. That was a very Mora-esque uh, uh, bit of dialogue there, Ram. Not wishing to be critical or I, in any way twatty with that challenge, by the way. I think what Ram's doing, really, is very similar to our build-up play against Southampton in the second half and, yes. and Watford, where it's... <laughs> Yeah, the second touch is a bit slow. So Steph has challenged Hal. <laughs> mm. <laughs> it's in, it's, see, we're, in, we're at Stockley Park all over again. This is his dream scenario, folks. But Milo is Stockley Park and he's solely in charge. And he knows that if the decision doesn't go my way, I'm going to flounce around like I do, you know, when we don't get a VAR decision. I was going to give it to you until you said that, Steph. I've changed my mind now. (laughs) (laughs) Ram, Ram, carry on. You've got 12 seconds and a point for an incorrect challenge. Ram? Oh, sorry. Oh, no, oh, don't delay there. Hesitation. <laughs> oh, oh, come oh, on. Oh. He's hesitating. Come on. Is he making up the delay? Oh, oh hold up. <laughs> I didn't. Ricky, were you, cha- were you challenging You're challenging for for hesitation? Delay. Though, Ricky? Hesitation, yeah. delay, quite okay. what you like. Yes. Ricky, six seconds on Tottenham versus Crystal Palace starting now. The Mighty Eagles turned up at White Hart Lane and were not to Challenge. Led. I challenged. What for? For it's not White Hart Lane; it's the Tottenham Hotspur Stadium. No, no, it's not upheld. <laughs> Incorrect challenge. <laughs> You're making up ground here, Ricky. You want to know where the points are? It is five apiece. Five apiece. Humdinger. Wow. Whoa. That's big. Uh, I suppose we should start with uh, with with Lucas Mora on this. Uh, overall, during the Christmas period, I think it's fair to say he has shown himself as one of the players who has improved the most under Antonio Conte. Do do you feel that that's fair comment? Who wants to come in on that? Yeah, I'll start. I think you know we were talking earlier about a player that can start the move and finish the move. Now I'm not necessarily saying that's why can't I speak like this during the the one minute thing. <laughs> Um, so yeah, you know, uh, what I was actually trying to say in that one minute thing was he started that his goal, he started, you know, he started the move and then ended up finishing it. And he actually, it was a really lovely, well-class deft touch to get round the, um, palace player and then drive forward. And, uh, I believe he passed it through to, um, was it Kane? And then Kane passed it through to Royale. Royale crossed it in. And then, uh, Mora was there with, you know, fantastic header. And I think he has had a renaissance, um, under Conte, you know, and I think he's, he's kind of put his head down and he, he's just, he, he, I think he's one of those players that's willing to listen and willing to adapt and willing to kind of, um, play to Conte's system. What, what I would say is maybe in long term, he, you know, he, we might find that, uh, or Conte might find that he's got a player in his position that might be more more suitable for his system but I think what he's been doing you know he's he's one of the first um, players on the team sheet at the moment um, and he was sensational you know he was uh, he, he was at the heart of everything and that's what you want so I'm not saying he is that player that starts and finishes the move but considering you know it's just because we were talking about it earlier in this instance he actually was and um, uh, I was so impressed with him I think particularly with starting the moves he's um, of what Conte calls the number 10s he's a lot more comfortable than Son uh, picking up the ball, facing his own goal, turning and running. Son is a lot better in the in the in the final third, I think, than Mora. But Mora's a lot better at that role, and we saw that with Mourinho last year, where he was a very very good uh, ball carrier. He's he, he's a good player playing on the break. When I was saying earlier on, where about 
he's less useful against teams that sit deep. But that wasn't the situation here. We had, he had plenty of space to run in. And I, th- I thought he was excellent. I think in terms of with Conte, I think he's a player that's really benefited from the automations. So uh, the instruction to move the ball early, pass the ball early, I think is really paying off because he knows that there's going to be a run. And our criticism in the past has always been that he's been great running with the ball, but that he's held on to it too long. I was just briefly going to say, like I said earlier, I think if you if, if you apply whether you're going to get buy-in from Mora commitment from Bora and listening from Mora I think he's going to pass that test pretty much on day one I think he's done that for all the managers he's simply a committed player and he gives everything um, I think we've said before though that we think he might be upgradable and I'm not sure if we're going to swerve away from that but um, he's doing everything he can to earn his place in the team I mean the only thing he's vulnerable to is a formation change maybe he's the yeah. man that misses out in three five two. and let's look at Jaffet playing at left centre back I think one of the things that I would have to say is that it proves that, you know, Conte really does value players who are flexible and teachable. Do we think Tanganga did well? I think he's quite similar to Sanchez in that defensively he's quite strong, but in possession he's not very good. And I think long term, that means that he's not a particularly good fit for Conte. But I think his flexibility is really useful right now. I would say that I think that what he did show against Palace is that he can do a serviceable job and help get us through a moment, albeit Wilfred Zaha getting dismissed in the 37th minute certainly helped our cause. Ricky? I mean, obviously some of our outgoings might be based on actually actually being able to get a buyer and we might need the cashier. That's why some might go. But I have read as well that some clubs are looking to maybe keep people around because of they're worried about squad burnout mm. and also more yeah. covid issues and more so you yeah. so someone flexible might be a really good person yeah. to I keep around so because be we don't case. know where covid's going and we're not sure and i mean Klopp and many of are, are saying not necessarily about the covid players missing but the players that remain yeah. have to play too many games so yeah. that's another thing i'm hopeful we'll have a you know we're obviously um in the semi-finals of the league cup i'm i'm hopeful we'll have a, a decent run in the uh in the fa cup so if with that being the case mm. and with everything that's happened already this season we need numbers you know and we need we need dependable players as well and the thing with Jaffa is he may not necessarily fit the system but he he leaves it all out on the pitch and you know and, and I think he, he should be credited for that and this was also a game it should be noted well first of all Kane and Son scoring in the same game which used to be so common uh, has been quite rare this season it was nice to see that but you know one thing I did want to discuss with everyone was this was a game that it was a victim of uh, the Twitterati wasn't it uh, there was uh, it appears there was um, well there was a blatant mistake by someone uh, in reporting that the game was off when it looked actually like the information had come from Crystal Palace that they wanted the game to be called off and had put in the request. Uh, But obviously the Premier League uh, hadn't responded to that. There was just mass confusion. Do we think the game should have been called off? Do we think that, you know, Crystal Palace had a legitimate complaint at that point? Or do we agree that it was the right thing that it took place? I mean, I think in terms of what happened there, the the journalist from Football London, the Palace correspondents, um, had... You know, correctly been told by Palace that they'd put in a request for the game to be postponed. If you read his article, all of the kind of nuance was there that was lost in his tweets promoting it, and then it got picked up and and <laughs> spiraled from there. This is why you should always read long form. Long form, that's <laughs> right. You, you well played. exactly right. Yeah, very good. <laughs> And very true, by the way, very true. He didn't help himself yeah. there. He did come out afterwards and say, say sorry. But I think the Premier League ought to be better 
at handling this kind of th- thing, particularly you know, particularly during these yeah. this difficult time. And what I'd like to see the Premier League doing is tweeting, confirming that when they've received requests and uh, and a time frame for when they'll be making a decision. I think what was difficult about this was that you know it happened on Christmas Day. Understandably, people were you know half the people who probably needed to make a decision were half cut and full of turkey and Christmas pudding. Um, and those skeleton staff, if that on. Um, but then the decision didn't, it wasn't actually made or announcement wasn't made until very, very late on Boxing Day. And when it did come out, it came out through the Press Association and the Premier League didn't really actually ever tweet anything. So it was quite late on. And I know that a lot of fans were make, you know, who are making longer journeys decided understandably not to make those journeys because they were expecting it to be cancelled look the guy held his hand up and said he was sorry i I appreciate that and everyone makes a mistake but let's not minimize that the magnitude of that mistake if you're the football club hosting the game that's a fair amount of money lost we have 40 or 40 or thousand people in there i mean it would have been a lower crowd anyway because of everything else that's going on but yeah and obviously that had an impact but i I think the premier league ought to be taking responsibility for this and actually if if you've got a clear line of communication on this and it's always coming from the same place then briefings from clubs and what have you and you're trying to put pressure on this um is less of a problem that being said, we did see, uh, uh, we saw Tangy uh, have, have a Christmas appearance in the 79th minute. There's probably not much more to say about that. But we did also see uh, Stephen Bergwijn come on in the 64th minute, uh, thus continuing a little renaissance that we will be talking about shortly. I think um, Brian as well, he was back. That was the first time he was back for Wilson. You're wasn't right. For a while. And it significantly came on the pitch before uh, Andombele, actually. I, I thought it was interesting. I say it's the first time that we've seen Bergwijn play the number nine role that Conte had talked about him as a you know potentially as a as an understudy on I thought he did all right yeah. I mean in the end it was a comfortable victory it was almost uh, a reverse of what happened at Selhurst Park in in every manner of the word including as the sending off if I'm Crystal Palace I'm looking at my star player and I'm looking for a bit of composure at that point because he doesn't I mean they're two nil down at that point you know at that stage of the game so the game is half lost there anyway but there's a Christmas period to play through you know, you've got to stand up. Your team is suffering a little bit from COVID as it is. Uh, you really would be expecting a little more. And uh, it's it's always been a question mark, hasn't it, his temperament? Uh, so anyway, not much more to say. Another, you know, a comfortable victory. And as we move on to the uh, final segment of our review, and I hand over to the chair. So one minute on Tottenham versus West Ham. Ricky, without hesitation, deviation or repetition, your minute starts now. It was um, always a pleasure to invite challenge. East London. Your challenge for four? Um, You're correct. A, a there was definitely um, hesitation there. I was there. just clearing my throat. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> Harsh. Just the 56 yeah, seconds, on. Ram. Starting now. Another nervy encounter against their free... free <laughs> <it>. Challenge! <laughs> Ricky was in first. Oh, Do you have to say challenge or can you just shout out? Let's, let's you can shout anything. It. Definitely oh, okay. in first. <laughs> no, Definitely in first. 49 <laughs> seconds, Ricky. It Go. was our neighbours that came for their annual cup final. They are massive. They are West Ham. They came to the high road. Challenge. Hi- Your challenge is? Hesitations. Hesitations. Hesitations were multiple. <laughs> yeah, okay. Go on then. Go on then. 40 on, seconds. I think we've got a conscientious objector on uh, as the third player. Yeah. But... We... <laughs> <laughs> 
40 seconds starting now. West Ham are a team that are doing very well and David Moyes deserves credit. That being said, we showed them why we are chasing them up the league table and challenging their place in the top Challenge. four or five. <laughs> Wooden hesitancy. Wooden hesitancy. Wooden. Wooden. Wooden hesitancy. There were two there. But, but, below the belt. There it is. <laughs> <laughs> I... I, I think of it as being measured and, in, and controlled, <laughs> yes, Graham. I think thanks, this is. Thanks, Milo. But, but there was definitely hesita- hesitancy there. All the same, <laughs> twenty-four seconds remaining, Steph. You've been saving it up for this moment. <laughs> yeah. And it starts now. Steven Bergwijn's tricky feet were really neat. Got this across the line. Yeah, we scored the challenge. Goals. <laughs> the challenge being Ram hesitancy and stuttering. Indeed, <laughs> it was. <laughs> It was, he was implying Bergwin's stuttering feet. <laughs> <laughs> Steph, Steph un, uncharacteristically tripped over his words. <gasps> Let's go. 18 seconds remaining, Ram, and they start now. Conti has shown that by utilising the whole squad, rather than having a defined A and B team like our last manager, we are seeing progressive results in a very positive manner. We scored three... Challenge. No, Challenge. You're not going to like this, Steph. But I think Ricky got in first again. <laughs> it totally did. Delay from America, mate. It must be. I'm getting. Uh, it must be because I was. Well, I was in on top. It but could whatever. be, to be honest. <laughs> <laughs> oh well. <laughs> Two seconds remaining, Ricky. Is it? <laughs> and they're starting now. We scored our goal, but then after oh. that, we were oh. cracked for three minutes. <laughs> See, you went for the robotic there. Yes. Well, Everyone goes to the robotic. When I have to say, I'm uh, I'm very disappointed in how technology has let me down. Both during the Christmas season, with <laughs> in Tottenham football, Oscar, in and podcasting, and in it. it's just unbelievable. Tech shit, yeah, it's unbelievable. <laughs> Tech shit. And after all that, we have joint winners in Ram and Ricky. Oh, oh. oh. Steph was the red hot favourite, <laughs> surely. Yeah, yeah. I think I thought, it's clear to we say the challenges the are flying in on me left and right. I. Well done, chaps. Thank you. Thanks, Steph. Nice one. That was fun. Yes, it was. I think the real wi- winners are the listeners. <laughs> I think so. Yeah, yeah. I agree. <laughs> anyway, West Ham. <laughs> Steph. Stephen Bergwijn's tricky feet were really, really, really neat. I'm going to try and use that line again. I mean, look, this was about Stephen Bergwijn uh, coming back into the team and actually showing that he has a place in the squad uh, and possibly in Antonio Conte's thinking. I still think... He is going to be an asset we'll trade out, to be honest, if we can in January. Uh, I, I don't see him having a long-term future, but it does show that, you know, Conti knows how to get a tune from whatever he's got to work with in a way that I don't think we've seen from a manager for some time. And uh, for that alone, I'm, I'm grateful for what he's managed to do with Stephen Bergwijn. And, uh, you know, let's face it, this was his game. He shone. He produced the moments. Ironically, until the first moment, he hadn't done anything. But there it was. <laughs> I was just about to say that Steph, he was terrible for the first 20 minutes. Yeah. But I would downgrade that to maybe Rusty, because let's face it, he doesn't get that many minutes. But as soon as he got that goal, it flipped like a switch. And he was. He was exciting. He contributed. His feet became a lot more like glue to the ball. And I think there's a player in there. It's so annoying with Bergen. There is a player Confidence, in there. isn't it? It's it is, and I think he is someone that can have a good touch, but yeah, yeah it's confidence. I mean, I, I actually think he's very much like Bowen for them. 
even stylistically. I think they're quite similar players in the way they're quite dynamic, but I think Bowen benefits from being probably just even from just being on the team sheet every week virtually, isn't he? So mm. I think that helps. It's a, it's a real shame for Berg, Bergwin that he got um, injured or unwell at the, when he did mm. because yeah. I think he, he'd had a couple of decent appearances and then and then to be missing again. Yeah, I agree. That's the difference, I think, for someone like Conti. I think he wants to see you in and around it all the time as much as possible unless you've got a leg dropping off. I mean, I think, you know. I know they they always give us a game because it is their cup final, but, you know, they, they are doing very well and, and I was quite, I was really impressed with them, actually. You know, they're, they're not just a, a flash in the pan. However, I think if you take one or two players out of that first 11, specifically Rice, and I think they've become very brittle after that. How good uh, has he become in the last 12 oh, months? Oh, he's incredible. In the last 12 months. Yeah, yeah. You know, he's huge for them. But I think, you know, if you t- take out um, a couple of their a couple of their big first teamers and, and, and they do become very brittle. So I think they've just been, you know, fairly lucky in that sense that he's, especially him, I don't think he's been injured or, no. or had COVID or anything like that. I mean, I would I would contest that a bit because I thought that on the night because Bonner's injured for them, Zuma's injured for them, Creswell's injured for them, Antonio didn't play. Mm. And I think what it shows is that mm. they're just, how far in are they with Moyes? Are they three years in with Moyes? And I think that mm. shows, I think they're a functioning yeah. unit. And they're very functioning. Even whenever yeah. other players come in, they just still seem to know what everyone's doing. And we kind of, they really gave us a good game and they kind of drive forward, mainly led by Rice, because I think during the game, we said, I think we brought on Winks and we ended up with Winks, Skip and Hoiberg, which is a really energetic midfield. And we retook control, but then we lost it again after 10 minutes. And I think it's mm. just basically, Rice does the work of two men. Honestly, yeah. he's, he's, yeah. he's that he, good. Yeah. He's going to get a big money move to a big club this summer. He's going to be a hundred million pound plus player. I Chelsea, unfortunately. Yeah. Well, he started he started his career there, didn't he? So he 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 was an yeah. academy player at, yeah. at, at Chelsea. So exactly. the only notable thing I was going to say for this game is that it was the game where we saw Dyer's first mistake under Conte. I think the Bowen equaliser, a loose pass out, so uh, you know to a West Ham player, and then he was mm. um, uh, he wasn't close enough to Bowen uh, when he was marking him, so he kind of made two mistakes in, in quick succession. That was a funny three minutes after they scored, though, wasn't it? Because we, mm. uh, we, I mean, we scored, and then we yeah. just. Honestly, we just sort of went to pieces. For but three I think minutes. it goes back to what Milo was saying earlier in the pod, actually, which is that you know when you've got uh, some of our players, uh, you know, like like Sanchez uh, at the back, are not great passers, and they will invariably go backwards or inside. So Dyer does see an awful lot more of the ball in these situations than you know perhaps you would expect him to. So he is the guy who ends up with the most responsibility. I mean, he did actually have another mistake against uh, against Southampton, did he not? Where he was bailed out at the last minute. Yeah, that's true. Yeah, yeah. So, uh, but I think again that that's I think that again it comes back to him being the guy who's constantly they go to him. I mean, I think that's always going to be the case because he's looking for those raking balls out from 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 defence, and because he's playing just behind the other two centre backs, he's got a bit more time and space on the ball. And part of the idea with the system is to try and draw, uh, try, try and draw players onto Dyer before he releases it, so you create a spare man. I mean, that's what we're trying to do. That's that that's part of the system. All three goals came within five minutes. Bergwin on 29 minutes, Bowen on 32, yeah. Lucas on 34. And that's one thing I think that we should note uh, that's been a very, very nice feature of Conti's unbeaten reign so far. And by the way, we should note that Antonio Conti has gone longer unbeaten in the Premier League than any previous manager we've had. But one area where I think we've really shown ourselves under him is, you know, we bounce back very quickly from any adversities that we suffer. Uh, he quite simply, I think, culturally does not tolerate a dip in those situations and you can see that we're almost coached to respond uh you know in the appropriate fashion and and we have done and we did do in this game 
Yeah, and he's given players confidence. Yeah, yeah, he really has. I mean, like he said, that I'm here and I need to improve individual players and then that will improve the team. And we see, I think especially in the defensive areas, I mean, you think of Davis, Sanchez, Dyer. I mean, that's why maybe we look more solid now because I think the goals we conceded have, have really dropped off, I think, haven't they? Mm. Mm. I have nothing more to say about this game other than I love beating them. I just yeah. love beating them. Yeah, it's always yeah. great. Let's just wrap this up by saying it it has been a fantastic uh, festive period for us overall. South a disappointment of Southampton notwithstanding. Uh, I think if you'd have given us these results before this program of games started, we'd have bitten your hand off. And and we you know, we we've really very little to complain about given the reality of where we are and the context of, of what we can and cannot do this season, I would actually say we are overachieving, uh, all told. And uh, it's down to it's down to one man uh, and, and his coaching staff. And so, uh, for me, it's been a you know, really positive uh, festive period. And I think that we go into 2022 uh, actually with the sort of expectations that this club should have. And I believe, as I said on a previous pod, that this is going to come down to uh, the best managers with regards to the Champions League places. And I think it's going to happen. So that's my wrap up. What do you guys think? For anyone out there who's been looking at the club's social media, there have been some really fun pictures from New Year's Eve and New Year's celebrations. <laughs> but if you get a chance to look at the Tottenham Hotspur coaching staff gathering for their New Year's celebration... Just take a look at Christian Stellini, who is uh, Conti's assistant. Everyone else is wearing masks and like little like funny hats or whatever. He is wearing the expression of a bulldog licking piss off a nettle, which uh, to me has been a highlight of the festive season too, because he just looks like the angriest assistant manager and the hardest assistant manager I have ever seen in football. So if you can take a look. So that being said, I've already given, uh, I think I've already given one positive uh, on on the Christmas period. I'm going to, you know, I'm I'm not going to say a negative, but I'll leave the three of you with one positive, one negative for the whole of this Christmas and New Year period. Uh, Ram, uh, why don't we start with you? Positive. Top four is still in our hands after this run that we've been through. So, uh, you know, we, we, we've come out of it relatively unscathed and actually in a really strong position. Uh, negative, not being able to capitalise on playing against 10 men against Southampton, uh, whether that's through missed opportunities or dodgy decisions. Um, those extra couple of points could end up being really crucial. Ricky? Um, my positive is, I think, as the manager says, there's still quite a bit that needs improvement proving and needs work on but um i mean but if you look at the table how does that reflect in the form table and well we're five wins and three draws 33 points we're fourth is in our own hands so we're getting the job done while we're learning on the job so that's a positive a uh, negative yeah, i was thinking about this today i know sort of fans moan about um the two three windows where we didn't sign anyone as detrimental but i'm beginning to think the windows from sort of um when the last summer of potch and the merino windows are superseding that. I mean, we have, I mean, what have we got from them? You know what I mean? It's not just um, the usefulness of the player, but what have we got from the transfers? Return on investment, basically, what I'm saying. I think mm. that's becoming, looking like a really terrible period for us because it affects our transfer fees going forward, possibly. Yeah, my positive is that all of our forwards hit good form. So, you know, Kane, Mora, Son, Bergwin, all got goals. You know, if, if that continues, then we're in a good place there. And then my negative is that as we get better, teams are going to sit back and pack the middle more and more. That's uh, I, I thought that when we were watching the second half against Southampton, thinking we're going to get used to this, this is going to happen uh, more. We saw that when you know when Potter was manager, didn't we? That, that that it became a staple, and we really struggled to break those teams down. And I think 
against Watford. If we hadn't got that free kick, I'm not sure where the goal was coming from. And I think it's a problem that we need to find a solution to very quickly. And that either needs to be found within the squad or less likely within the transfer window. But we need to find a solution quickly because it's going to be a problem in the second half of the season. And that brings to a close the first The Game is About Glory of 2022. Thanks, chaps. A belter. Cheers, Steph. Cheers. I don't, Thanks, Steph. Mate. I uh, look forward to you uh, editing all that down into uh, something that doesn't resemble VAR and uh, more VAR and even more VAR. Uh, it'll be uh, it'll be interesting to see if you can wrestle that beast to the ground. We'll be back next week taking a look at our first leg against Chelsea in the Carabao Cup semi-final and against Morecambe, a game that we were going to preview, but we just thought, is that really wise? You can find us on Twitter and Instagram. So give us a follow. Say hello. Spotify have introduced podcast ratings. And if you listen to us on Spotify or listen to us on another app, but have a Spotify account, we'd love it if you could leave us a review, please, and help other people find this pod. Only good ones, mind. As always, thanks for joining us and we'll see you next week.